0: This is your first time with us. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our uh, sermon series called Abide. And so, what we've been doing for the last two months is really just kind of exploring John's gospel, chapters 13 through 17, because that portion of John's gospel encapsulates the last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross, right? So if you were here last week, we started John chapter 17. This is Jesus's final prayer for his disciples before he goes to the cross. It's It's been called one of the most incredible, magnificent prayers ever recorded. I would agree with that. So we started John 17 last week. We're going to wrap it up uh, today. And what Jesus prays for is fascinating in John 17. So he prays for himself, right? The first five verses, we looked at that last week. And then he prays for his present day disciples, the 11, right? Remember at this point, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. So he's down to the the 11. So he prays for them. And then the incredible thing is in uh, verses 20 through 26, which is what we're going to look at today, he prays for us. He prays for his future disciples that weren't even born yet, which is just mind-blowing. So if you have a Bible, please open it up, turn it on. Maybe you got a Bible app on your phone. Go to John's Gospel 17, and we're going to start in verse 20 together, okay? John 17, verse 20. And remember, this is his prayer for, for us, for you. Verse 20, he says this. I do not ask for these only, the 11 that are standing right there with him. So I'm not just praying for for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so if you're here, maybe you're in the house, maybe you're with us online this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, listen, this is a prayer that Jesus really prayed for you. That's, to me, that's unbelievable, right? Jesus, the king of the universe, God wrapped in human flesh, the night before he goes to the cross, of all the things he could have been thinking about, of all the things that could have been on his mind, could have been on his heart, he's thinking about you. he's thinking about, me. And he's thinking about us collectively, like he prayed for us. like that, To me, that is just astounding. And whatever Jesus prayed for in those final crucial hours should probably be, in a real, real way, what we spend our lives living for. And as we're going to see, what Jesus prays for, for his disciples who are to come, for you and I, he prays for three things specifically on that fateful night. And again, I think in a real sense, this is probably what ought to define our lives, if this was important enough for Jesus in some of his final breaths to pray these things over your life, and over my life, and over our life collectively as his body, these things probably ought to mark our lives and characterize our lives. And so I want to give you three words. This, this will serve as our outline. This will be on the screens for you. Three words, unity, closeness, and love, okay? Unity, closeness, and love. Now, I know you'll not remember all my points in this sermon. I don't even remember all the points in my sermon last week. But if you can remember those three words, you'll have the gist of the entire uh, message this morning. And we're gonna kind of break down each one of those. So let's go, verse 21, he continues in this prayer. And Jesus is praying, again, remember, praying this over you, praying this over me. He says, that they, that's us, he's talking about us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Now again, second time in just a couple of verses, he's praying the same thing over our lives, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Third time now, Jesus is praying this in just the context of a couple of verses so that the world will know, or the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So the very first thing that Jesus prays for in some of his final breaths before he goes to the cross is that his future disciples, you and I, that we would be one. Now, isn't, isn't that interesting? He, do, he doesn't pray that we would... Um, that we would have flawless theology. He he, he doesn't pray that we would have uh, perfect church attendance. He, He doesn't even pray that we would never miss a quiet time, that we would never miss a day reading our Bible or praying. He doesn't pray any of the things that maybe we would expect him to be praying over us. What he prays for is our unity. Now, if you were here last week, you also probably remember that Jesus specifically prays for unity for his 11 disciples, right? This is just a theme. That Jesus keeps coming back to our oneness, our unity together as the body of Christ, as his disciples. This is apparently so important to Jesus, right? And if you, if you read the New Testament, particularly if you read Paul's letters, right, where he's writing to these brand new church plants that are just getting started, Paul almost always circles back to unity with all these brand new believers, In fact, in the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books, chapter four, Paul actually calls out two ladies in the church by name that are not getting along, all right? Could you imagine if one of our elders got up here one Sunday? It's like, hey man, I heard what's going on in a small group last week. Bob and Jimmy, y'all cut it out. I see you back there, Bob. I heard what you said about Jimmy. Y'all cut it out. Our unity is too important to mess around with that, right? Half of you would think it's hilarious, The other half of you with pearl clutch, well, oh my, I have never in all my life, I have never heard that in a church and these people call themselves Christians, right? Paul didn't give a rip, right? He's calling out people by name. He's like, you stop it and you stop it. Why? Because this is so important to the mission of Jesus, right? And this, this really kind of begs the question, why is this so important to Jesus? And why is this so important to the early disciples and the apostles that are launching this whole movement that we're a part of 2,000 years later? Why is this so important? And Jesus tells us exactly why it's so important. In fact, he tells us twice. Look back at verse 21 again. This will be on the screens. He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us. Listen, so that. Why is this important, Jesus? He's telling you, listen up. I'm about to tell you why this is so important, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse twenty-three. He says the same thing: I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why, Jesus? Why is that important, Jesus? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus says, the way the world will know that my gospel is true. The one thing above everything else that will authenticate my message in the world, the one thing that will tell people that God exists and that he loves them, is the unity of my people above everything else. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to put this on the screens. If you're a note taker, write this down. I think it's important. Jesus, in essence, is saying the world gets a picture of who God is by watching us. That's a little bit terrifying, isn't it? world gets its picture of who god is what he's like what his character is like by watching us so let me just ask you how are we doing, church how how are we collectively doing as god's people in the united states of america in 2021 because jesus is saying that our unity is what is what really tells people that the gospel message is either true or it's false Every single day, we are painting a picture for the world about the greatness of Jesus. And our paintbrush is the brush of unity, according to Christ himself. Now, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus prays for this so ferociously again and again and again is because it's so unnatural for most of us, isn't it? I mean, in our sin nature... The natural tendi- tendency for us is not to unite, it's actually to divide. And we do this from the very youngest of ages, right? You can go to any school playground. You can go to any uh, cafeteria in a school and you just watch what happens, right? You got the rich kids that are sitting over here with the other rich kids, and you got the poor kids that are sitting over here with the other poor kids, and you got the white kids over here, and you got the black kids over here, and the Hispanics over here, and you got the jocks over here, you got the hipsters over there, you got the goth kids who sit in that corner over there. Now we just naturally divide. Right, and even as adults, right, we tend to live in white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods or Hispanic neighborhoods or rich neighborhoods or middle-class suburbia or whatever it is, man. We, we just carry this seed of division deep within our hearts. And I just got to confess to you, like, even this week, I'm preparing this sermon on unity, and I'm feeling the pull to push away from the table relationally, Right? And the irony wasn't lost on me. Here I am preparing to preach a sermon on unity and I'm fighting the seeds of disunity in my own heart. Like I had to stop a couple of times this week as I'm preparing and just be like, not today, Satan. <laughs> not today, man. I can't get in the pulpit as a hypocrite and preach on unity when I'm not even united in my heart. Now next week, let's get them. We're gonna get them next week. But this week, I, got, I can't be a hypocrite in the pulpit. I gotta deal with the sin in my life. Don't we all do that? We just naturally tend to argue. We tend to fight. We want our our way, and we want to push away from the relational table when we don't get our way because we're a bunch of big babies, and Jesus knows this about us, and so he's praying against that in our lives 2,000 years ago because he knew it was something that we were going to be dealing with. So his first priority, the very first thing that he prays for us almost 2,000 years ago, here's number one, point number one the one thing Jesus is praying for us first and foremost is that we would have unity with one another within the brotherhood and the sisterhood, the body of Christ. Man, this is absolutely crucial to our faith walk. Now, let's just say two, two quick things about unity and then we'll, we'll move on in the text. The first thing I wanna say about unity is that it's absolutely costly. Unity is not cheap. Unity is not easy. Unity is costly. It will cost you something. Because unity requires self-sacrifice for the greater good in the kingdom of Jesus. Which means, listen guys, we don't divide over secondary issues. Like like how many of you know of churches that have split over the most ridiculous things, right? Especially if you grew up in the the southeast. Man, you just got like a litany, a laundry list of these stories, right? Churches that split over the color of the carpet, no joke. Churches that split over the style of music, right? Hymns versus contemporary worship, how loud it is, how soft it is, how bright the lights are, how dark. I mean, just the dumbest of things, the version of the Bible that the pastor preaches out of, right? That's why every southern town you drive in, there's a first Baptist, a second Baptist, a third Baptist, a first Presbyterian, a second Presbyterian, a third Presbyterian, right? Because back in 69, somebody got mad that they went with the blue carpet instead of the red carpet. He said, hey, we love Jesus, we like the red carpet, so let's go plant another church right down the road. You, some of you guys may have heard the story of the, uh, the Baptist who was uh, cast on a castaway on an island. Now, let me, let me say, some of y'all are Baptists, you come out of, and you're like, man, why are, y'all always, why, why are y'all always knocking on the Baptist? That's my tribe, all right? I came out of that tribe, so I feel like I can, I can pick on us, right? I'm, I'm one of y'all, but y'all may have heard the story, this Baptist who was a castaway on an island, and uh, he had a sailboat, he was out, and a storm came and his boat tipped over and sunk and he swam to this island and he survived by himself for like a year, year and a half on this island. And finally there was a ship that passed by at night and they saw a, a little campfire on the beach and like, oh man, somebody's on that beach. And so they, they pull in and the crew disembarks and they go out and they find this one lone Baptist on this island and he's got three huts there, right? They're like, hey man, what are, what are, these, what are these three huts for? He's like, well, I live in that one, and I go to church in that one. We're like, well, what's the third hut for? He's like, that's where I used to go to church, right? (laughs) He couldn't even agree with himself, right? He had an argument with himself. He had disunity with He had to build a second church on the island, right? And that's kind of a funny illustration, but isn't that so true, man? We are so selfish, we are so self-centered, we want our way above everybody else's way, and we will fight for it, and we will cause disunity, and we cause relational chaos in the body. And Jesus is saying, it ought not be so with my people. Right? Unity is costly. It will cost you something. Because it means we don't divide over secondary things. Right? Even over open-handed doctrinal issues. Like end times theology, man, we got all kinds of views on that within our church body. Even how we understand election and predestination and free will. Man, we got all kinds of opinions, even on our leadership team here of, of that, right? Now understand, there, there are a few closed-handed issues, right? The divinity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the literal resurrection, the authority of God's word, the scripture. Like, I will divide the church over some things, right? I'll split the church over some things. I'll fight those battles. But those things are just a few things, just a handful of things, right? Everything else is open-handed. We have to learn to lay down our preferences over secondary things in order that we might thrive collectively as the body of Christ, as a movement of the kingdom of Jesus in this world. And it's gonna cost you something. If you really believe in unity, it's gonna cost you something, and it's gonna cost me something. But here's the second thing about unity. Not only is it costly, it's absolutely necessary to accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Now, here's one thing I love. Every four years, I was so disappointed last year. I love the Olympics, right? I just love the pageantry of the olympics i like watching the opening ceremony where they have all the flags walking in you have all these nations coming together and they're competing and i get a lot of national pride i'm like a oh, America, let's get more golds and i just i love it and i was so disappointed last year when they canceled it because of covid they're supposed to happen this summer i think in july uh, in tokyo so i'm really looking forward to it but four years ago five years ago there was a sport that i never noticed before it was competitive rowing have you guys ever watched that, competitive rowing? They've got a picture of the competitive rowing. Um, and I, always, I just kind of noticed that there was this one guy that was always sitting at the front doing nothing. Have you ever noticed that? Like he doesn't even have any oars. He's just sitting there looking at people. Like, what is this cat doing? He's just, he's like dead, dead weight. So I did some research. It, it turns out this guy's actually really, really important. He's called, he's called the coxswain, right? And the, the coxswain, his sole job is to keep the rowers in unison, in unity. That's his only job, is to coach them up to make sure that they're staying in perfect, synchronized harmony as they row so they can compete as quickly as possible and to keep them motivated in the same direction. And what I discovered is that actually without a coxswain, teams have zero shot to win. Like if you don't have a good coxswain, you're, you're dead in the water. You have no shot. He's probably the most important dude on the entire team. And as I was reading this text and meditating over this text this week, I just just felt like, man, Jesus is wanting to raise up some coxswain in his kingdom today. Just brothers and sisters who are striving valiantly and battling for unity because they understand what is at stake. That the world gets their picture of God by watching our unity. Listen, guys, this is costly, but it is absolutely necessary. And I've said this before, but understand this, please. Unity is not uniformity. A lot of times people get those two concepts mixed up. Unity is not uniformity. Jesus did not pray, Father, help them all look alike. Father, help them all dress alike. Help them all have the same haircut. Help them all vote exactly the same politically. God, help them have the same opinions about everything in life. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the watching world thinks when they look around and they see that all the Republicans go to this church in town, and all the Democrats go to this other church in town, and all the black Christians go to this church, and all the Hispanic Christians go to this church, and all the white Christians tend to go to this church, right, and those who are all about vaccines tend to go to this church, and people who are more into, like, holistic... Man, they go over to this church over here, and, and this church over here is where all the Tar Heel fans go, and all the Blue Devil fans go over here. What do you think the watching world thinks about that? I mean, I'll tell you exactly what they think when they see this type of division within the body of Christ. What they think is, I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that junk. I don't want any of that, man. Why would I want to be a part of something so divisive, man? They can't even get along themselves. They say they know God, they've been transformed by him, and yet they split over everything. Jesus calls us to unity. This is the foremost, the primary apologetic to the kingdom of God in a dark and dying world. He calls us to unity. He doesn't call us to uniformity. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to hold the same doctrinal stances on every little thing, but we have to be unified if we wanna call ourselves followers of Jesus, united within our diversity. That's what makes this movement so beautiful. That's what's made this movement so powerful for the last 2,000 years is that we've been united even within our diversity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a message to the world that's compelling and winsome. I love this, uh, the way Francis Sha- uh, Schaefer put it. And uh, this will be on the screens for you. Schaefer writes this. He says, it is in the midst of a difference that we have our golden opportunity. When everything is going well and we're all standing around in a nice little circle, there's not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference, and we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time, observable love, then there is something that the world can see, something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus has indeed been sent by the Father. Y'all, I I, kind of think of unity as like a a garden. So so some of you guys, I know you, you like gardening, and this spring I've been out, in my yard, and, and, and have, you ever, have you ever gone to Lowe's and you got this project and you, you buy a few beautiful plants, right, and you get a couple bags of mulch and maybe you get some really co- uh, cool like stone pavers and you go out there and you gotta pull the weeds out from a, a bed and you plant these beautiful flowers and you water them and then you spread the mulch just right and you get the stones and you kinda put it all around it and you're like, man, mission accomplished. I never have to worry about that flower bed again, right? Is that, is that how it works? I was out there yesterday pulling weeds in something that I planted just a month ago, right? That's not how it works. You constantly have to pull weeds and clear ant beds and prune plants. Listen, unity in the body of Christ is the same way. It's not like we achieve it once. We just kind of high-five each other and we're like, mission accomplished, done. We achieved unity. We're done with it forever. No, no, no. We constantly have to weed our own hearts just like I had to do this week. We constantly have to clear out the ant beds and relationships. We constantly have to spread new mulch over old patches of wounds and hurt and betrayal. Jesus prayed this for us. The first thing he prays for us is that we would be one, that we would be unified as an apologetic to the world of his great goodness. That's the first thing he prays for us. The second thing Jesus prays over us is not just that we would be unified with one another in the body of Christ, but he also prays that we would have a, a relational closeness with him. That's number two, that we would experience a real relational closeness with Jesus. He spent an entire chapter on this, John 15, we parked there probably four or five weeks ago now, and in John 15, Jesus expounds on this, right? And he uses this incredible analogy of a vine and the branches, right? And Jesus goes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And this is like it's this whole idea of you've got to abide in me, guys. Like I, I, want, you, I want you close to me. I, 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 want you to be, I want you to be near to me. I, wanna, I want my life to, to overflow into your life so that your life can overflow into the world, he's like, guys, just walk with me. Just be with me. Just live in relationship with me so that your life could produce the fruit that I want it to produce in your life. I think the older I get, man, the more I appreciate the fact that our God is a relational God. Did you know that God actually really wants you to know him? Jesus actually wants you to be with him. He, this is something that he desires, something he prays for, and he wants he wants you to be with him so much that not only does he promise his presence with us in this world through the power of his Holy Spirit that indwells every believer and follower of Jesus, but he actually promi- Listen, he promises to bring those of us who love him to be with him in heaven forever. He wants to be with us so much that it's not just like something that we, we can experience for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years on this planet. He wants to experience this with us forever throughout eternity. Look at verse 24. He continues this prayer for us. He says, Father, Father, I desire that they, that's you, that's me, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. This is the idea of, of relational closeness. He's like, man, I, I, I love these guys. I love these gals. I want them to be with me forever that they may be with me where I am. Where's he going? He's going to heaven. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. So Jesus goes, Father, my desire is to be with my people. I'm like, man, I, I, I love my people. I wanna be with them. I gotta have them with me wherever I am. And listen, I've said this. I've said this before, I think far too many of us have far too weak of a theology on heaven, right? Most of us think about heaven. Most of us hear the word heaven or we hear a sermon on heaven or a teaching on heaven. And most of us just kind of, we just kind of yawn if we're being honest, don't we? I've been guilty of that. We're just kind of like, nah, man, I, I guess it's better than the alternative. <laughs> I, I don't want to go to hell. So I guess I, guess I, I kind of want to go to heaven, but I want to live on this planet as long as, I, as long as I can. But the reality is that the scriptures paint a picture of the new heavens and the new earth that really should just make us super excited. It should really just exhilarate your heart, man. Listen, we're not going to be bodiless spirits just floating around in the clouds forever. We're not, we're not gonna be little little babies wearing togas holding a harp for, for like 10 billion years. Like that's not what heaven's gonna be like. We gotta start getting our theology from scripture, not from like Disney cartoons. Listen, heaven is gonna be awesome. Our bodies, our, our real bodies are gonna be resurrected, right? We're gonna have this new existence with, No more suffering and no more disease and no more sorrow and no more tears and no more injustice, right? There's going to be mountains to climb and oceans to swim and adventures to be had with those whom we love in the presence of our king forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. Plus, bacon will be good for you and broccoli will be bad for you when the new heavens and the new earth. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure I read it in Revelation somewhere. Bottom line, Jesus, Jesus wants a close relationship with you. Did you know that? He doesn't, he doesn't want to just save you and give you a golden ticket to heaven. He wants an intimate, real, vibrant relationship with you. Not just with us collectively as a body, but with you individually, you personally. Jesus wants that and he's praying for that. So not only is he praying for our our unity with one another as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters, not only is he praying for for closeness in our walk with Jesus, like personal relationship type stuff with him, he actually prays for one more thing. Look at verse 26. He says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known, listen to this, that the love of With which you have loved me, may be in them now, and I in them. So the very last thing that Jesus prays for us is that His love would abide in us, as a visible exhibit to the world of God's love. You know, we we all want to feel love, don't we? Even like the most standoffish, introverted, kind of apparently cold-hearted person, like. Everybody deep down wants to be loved. And we try to, to fill that innate desire that we're all born with, with different things. Most of us try to fill that innate desire with flawed love from other people, right? Whether it's from a friend or perhaps a boyfriend, perhaps a girlfriend, maybe a, maybe a spouse, maybe your, your kids, maybe getting that cute puppy dog that you've always wanted, right? But all of those things, as good as those things can be, always leave us longing for a deeper experience Of love. Don't they? It doesn't matter how many girlfriends you have or boyfriends or friends or cute puppy dog. There's always this sense that something is missing. There's a deeper longing that is yet to be fulfilled. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, listen, guys, as my followers, I want you to be filled. I want you to be overflowing with my love. This is perfect love. This is unconditional love. So that your lives can now be lived out, loving God and loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally loving the world who's far off from Jesus and needs to be brought near to him. Listen, guys, love is the essence of who God is. Did you know that? Like love love is God's DNA. I want you to listen to what the Apostle John would later write in another letter in the New Testament, 1 John. This is what he writes. This This will be on the screen for you. He says this, dear friends, he talked to us, believers, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. That's who he is. That's his DNA. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Friend, believer, brother, sister, love should mark the life of every Christian. If you're a disciple of Jesus, whether you're in the room with us this morning, whether you're tuned in online you should be a love-saturated person. Listen, when, when you're not around, your friends are talking and your name comes up, when people hear your name, is one of the first things they think of about you, love? Right? Is, that, is, that, is that one of the first things that people think of when they think of you? Like, man, that, that brother doesn't have it all right, but man, he loves well. Loves his wife well loves his children, loves the community, loves the world. Man, that that sister, she she loves so well. And she's so forgiving. She's always seeking unity. She loves her family well. She loves her friends well. She's always putting other people in front of herself. Man, is that something that people think of you when they hear your name? And man, I'm just telling you, for me, this was convicting this week studying this and this is challenging for me because the reality is i know far too often when people speak my name that is probably not one of the first thing that comes to their mind It's just probably not but it ought to be it really ought to be because jesus is praying that it will be in my life and he's praying that it will be in your life as well if you're a follower of jesus So that's the third thing, that Jesus prayed for us almost 2,000 years ago. I believe he's still praying for us today based on what I read in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7, that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf even right now. I think one of the things he's praying for us is this, that we would become ambassadors of his love. That we would become agents of his love to the world around us. That we would just kind of live out the rest of our days with this uninhibited love for God and for each other as, as brothers and sisters in the kingdom and, and for the world around us, right? And Jesus says, this is how the world's gonna know that my message is true that you guys are united around me, that you're united, you're, you're united around my message, that you're walking in close relationship with me, that you become ambassadors of my love in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in the cities that you live in, in the places where you live, work, and play for my glory. And so church family, as we close, I just wanna, just wanna give you a couple of applications and then we're, we're gonna sing, all right? The first application I want to challenge you with is this. Dear brothers and sisters, number one, please kill this unity. Please kill it. Please, please, I'm begging you, relentlessly pursue it and slaughter it. And just listen, this always starts in your heart first. It's not just your actions because it always starts in our heart starts in your heart and then it moves to what comes out of your mouth, right? Because our mouth is really just an overflow of what's already in our heart. This should affect our thought patterns, what we, what we think about, how we think of others, how we speak of others when they're not around, how we respond when they don't do what we, what we want them to do, when we want them to do it, how we want them to do it, right? There's a famous quote that's been uh, attributed to Augustine and I, I did some research this week and. Apparently, it wasn't him. But I I like the quote anyway, so I'm gonna give it to you. This is what the quote says. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I love that. In essentials, unity. So we gotta be unified around the gospel of Jesus, right? Like I said, I'll, I'll split the church over that. We gotta be united around Jesus, the son of God. He literally came to earth. He literally died. He rose again, right? The authority of the word of God, we, we've got to be united around those, just those handful of core things that make us who we are as followers of Jesus, right? Unity around essentials, but in non-essentials, in times, theology, predestination, in those things, liberty, right? Liberty, we're going to give freedom in those things, but in all things, charity, in other words, love. We're just going to love each other. So let me just just encourage you, let me challenge you, as I had to do this week, when you sense, when you feel those seeds of disunity kind of taking root in your heart, man, get a shovel out and dig those bad boys out and stomp them to death on the ground. Do not let them grow in your heart. Kill them. Pursue them relentlessly. Jesus is praying this for you even right now. This is so important. He's saying, this is how the world's gonna know that you belong to me. This is how the world's gonna know that my gospel is true, that you guys are one, that you're united around the gospel. And so would you please kill this unity in your heart, friend? Pursue it, kill it. Number two, here's the second challenge. Would you, brother or sister, would you consider going deeper with Jesus this week? would you consider going deeper with Jesus? You say, Chris, man, what, that, what does that mean, man? What, are you gonna have church three or four times? What, what, what does that mean? It could mean a lot of different things. For me personally, I'm just telling you my experience, the, the way that I typically connect best with Jesus is first thing in the morning before I start my workday, I carve out some time and I get alone with God. And I open the word and I'm usually in the Psalms, I'm usually somewhere in the New Testament. And I'm just spending 15, 20 minutes of sacred, sacred time between, me and Jesus I'm giving the Holy Spirit space to speak through His word and apply these things in my heart and I pray so that I can hear from God what He wants to challenge me with. I have some friends that would uh, that would add worship music to the mix right so they just that's something that's really powerful for them and so as they're studying or as they're praying and they'll turn on some worship music I think serving in God's kingdom is another. Great way to experience relational closeness to him, whether it's serving in the body or serving out in our city, in the world. There's something about living on mission with Jesus that draws us into a closer walk with him. And there's, there's probably a thousand different things that you could do, but would you just commit to do one thing this week? Just one thing to go deeper in your walk with Jesus. And if you're like, man, I, you know, I already read my Bible and have that quiet time, like two times, three times a week. Okay, make it four or five this week. If you're not in the habit of doing it at all, man, just do, so, do it once. Do it once between now and next Sunday. Do it twice. Just do something. Take some step that will allow you to walk more closely with Jesus this week. Everybody can do one thing. Would you do one thing to go deeper with Jesus this week? And here's the last application. Would you find one, this will require some creativity, right? Would you find one way to make God's love visible this week? And that could look a million different ways. Would you creatively find just just one way to make God's love visible to somebody this week? Listen, if God is love, if Jesus is praying this for us, he was praying this 2,000 years ago for us, that we would be filled with his love, how can you make his love visible to one person this week? Now, maybe that's your spouse at home. Maybe that's your parents if you're young and still living at home. Maybe that's your kids, maybe that's, a classmate on your college campus or your high school campus. Maybe, maybe that's your, your, the crazy coworker that drives you crazy. Maybe that's your, your neighbor. Like it could be anybody, but could you find just one practical way to make God's love visible to one single solitary person this week? Just one person. You can do that. We can all do that. Would you find one way to make God's love visible, tangible to somebody this week? And I think that as we start to do this and live out this kingdom ethic together collectively as the body of Christ, we can live out what Jesus is already praying for us, right? Unity with one another, closeness with him, love for the world. I believe that as we do that, we'll start to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us and what he desires for us and what he wants for us. Church family, let's pray together and then we're gonna sing, okay? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that you sent Jesus into this jacked up, busted up, sinful world, this mess that we've created for ourselves to live a perfect and sinless life. The one that we should have lived God, but we had no capability of living. And that he did that perfectly and flawlessly for 30 plus years on our behalf. That he died a really awful, painful, brutal, bloody death to pay for, to atone for the sins that I have in my life, the thoughts that I think, the intentions of my heart, God, all the things and all the ways that we've rebelled against you, that Jesus died to pay for those things so that we could be close with him again so we can actually have a relationship with our creator and that he rose again on the third day and he now offers us that same resurrected life in him. We thank you for that. God, I, I pray that we wouldn't dishonor that sacrifice by exhibiting disunity in the body. Father, I pray that we would honor your precious blood. We'd honor your broken body for us by seeking unity in your kingdom unity with brothers and sisters so that the world would see in us a really clear picture of who God is and how powerful he is and how loving he is, God. So would you make us united, not not just for our sake, but for your sake, for the sake of the world? Jesus, would you help us to walk closely with you? Would you forgive us for the times where we've just been satisfied with religion or satisfied coming to church once a week for an hour? Would you give us the desire to dive deeper, to experience true closeness, relational unity with you, the Savior? Would you help us find just one practical way to go deeper this week, God? And then, Father, would you help us become the ambassadors of love that our world needs? that people would see in us the love of the Father, the love of the Son, that they would be drawn by a winsome witness, by the way that we live our lives and love you and love each other and love the world well. God, would you help us do this? We confess we can't do this on our own. We need your power. We need your spirit to help us accomplish these things, but we ask that you would. We know that you're praying for these things even now for us. So we thank you. We praise you. All in the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's stand and sing.